from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 148. Please turn with me in your pew Bible to page 550. Listen for and hear the word of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth. You see monsters in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the Lord, the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. And our New Testament reading today is from the book of Acts. It's on page 122 in your pew Bibles if you would like to read along. Hear now the word of God for you who are the people of God. <clears throat> now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance <clears throat> I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air, and I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. And the Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, 
the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given, even to the Gentiles, the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Almighty Lord, visit us now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you. May we hear your story anew. May we live in your word afresh this day. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I have to say I was excited to get the lectionary for today and that we weren't in a sermon series of some sort because I love it when I get to preach from the book of Acts. Because there is no doubt that in all the books of the Bible, the Acts of the Apostles is by far the best story. And what I mean by that is, as noted in its preamble, it is the most put together, the most orderly of accounts. It's written as a narrative with a logical and chronological approach to the events following Jesus' death and resurrection. There is a thread that really winds through the plot, moving us straight through the events of the early church since the ascension of Jesus and all the way to the imprisonment of Paul in Rome. And not only is the book satisfyingly linear, it's also incredibly exciting. (laughs) You know, there are earthquakes and shipwrecks and plenty of imprisonments. There's conflict and dreams and visions and even the trance, as we heard today. Historian Dermot McCullough says the general excitement of the stories in Acts means it has something of the feel of a historical novel. This could be Tops in Reese's Book Club or even Oprah. I think definitely on Goodreads it would have five stars. I highly recommend it. And now our passage for today is solidly part of this literary line in Acts chapter 11 verses 1 through 18, there is an exciting story to be told. So the setting is Judea. The main characters are Peter the Apostle and the Jerusalem community, in particular their leaders. The necessary conflict to move the plot along is that Peter has just come back from Caesarea and is ready to report on what the people have already begun to hear. The rumor that Gentiles have been baptized by Peter in the Spirit. Now, if true, this is monumental. If true, this changes the worldview and the mission of these early believers. If true, this radically changes the world. You see, until now, non-Jews were really not welcome to come into the fold. And these rumors that preceded Peter's arrival in Jerusalem were of a new freedom for inclusion into the faith community by the power of the Holy Spirit alone. This is not what the believers were used to. So as soon as Peter arrives, they critique him and they demand answers. Now, good for Peter, he is a pro at making speeches, even in, and maybe especially in, hostile environments. Who can forget his recitation of the prophet Joel to the room of disbelievers on Pentecost? Don't you remember they thought they all were drunk? And what about when Peter testified in Caiaphas' courtroom after spending a night in jail for healing a man at the temple gates? Peter preaches a new theology to the very man who had condemned Christ, his Lord. Peter is used to testifying as a witness of the sharing, healing, growing community of believers in Christ. However, this time, with this baptism, that community 
is radically expanded and looks nothing like it looked before. This time, Peter walks boldly into the room of believers, and instead of his speeches, Peter tells a story. It's a careful recounting of this serendipitous meeting of two men, both bolstered by dreams that collide. One, Cornelius of the Italian cohort, the other, Peter, a.k.a. the Rock. It's a vision of a sheet dropping from heaven, four corners lowered in the room, and the sheet full of food, kosher and not, and the clear voice of God on repeat with a heretofore unheard of message, all has been made clean even the common, even the profane. After confirming the account with his traveling companions, Peter ends with a dramatic and climactic line, who was I that I could hinder God? The story continues, and Scripture says, the people who were once so poised to attack They are taken up by Peter's story, and they are transformed. They are able to see things differently as they imagine with Peter the pathway of this new, powerful, spirit-filled world. Scripture tells us that the scene resolves into silence. And then, in praise, the final words of the Jerusalem leadership are, Then God has given, even to the Gentiles, the repentance that leads to life. Amen. In the great saga of Acts, here Peter is a powerful storyteller himself. Because, you see, Peter is approaching a situation for which there are no ready answers. Scholar Stephen Jones says there was no issue more debated by early Christians, no issue more important to them than whether their newfound faith was intended only for Jews or whether it was to include Gentiles while allowing them to remain Gentiles. There was no other question to be asked, no other scenario that was so open to explore. And now that Cornelius and others received the Spirit and were baptized, In the name of Jesus Christ, Peter has decided the question and inaugurated a mission to the entire Gentile world. Even if he wanted to, he couldn't pull out five-point platform or offer a stump speech. He can't even point back to the prophet's plan to make sense of this action. The truth is that the traditions of their life of faith were no longer matching up with how the Spirit was moving in their world. So what can Peter do? What can Peter do to avoid the conflict? What can Peter do to encourage the believers? What can Peter do to help them claim their place in this brave new world? What can Peter do? Peter tells a story. When I was in seminary, I took a year out 
between my second and third years, and I served a church in Northern Ireland, a great land of stories. And when I was there, my supervisor, my mentor, Reverend Roger Purse, and I would go driving around on the wrong side of the road, along the hedgerows, visiting parish members, each house, each cottage, tea by tea, by Irish bread, by tea. And Jamie, in her early 20s, just thought this was the perfect opportunity while I had him as a captive audience to just hammer him with all the questions I had about how to be successful in ministry. So I would ask what I thought were seemingly straightforward questions like, how do we increase attendance in Kids Club? Roger, how can we market this new Emmaus course? Roger, do we really have to go to all these visits and just sit there and drink tea? And Roger would answer all my seemingly straightforward questions with, you guessed it, rambling words and stories. Well, Jamie, about Kids Club, this one time last November, the Emmaus course, ach, Mr. McCready always said, and on tea, well, when I was younger, dot, 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 the stories going on and on and on. It took me a while to realize what my mentor was doing here with his stories. That instead of giving me his to-do list to fulfill, instead of giving me a directive of his own, that he shared his stories so that I might develop my own. His stories helped me read myself into the narrative so that I might make my own way in this odd and wondrous calling, that I might find my own witness in this world rooted in the word. Christian storytelling is a long tradition, and one of my favorite storytellers is someone you may be familiar with, storyteller extraordinaire known as Madeline L. Engel. You might know her from her children's novels, like Wrinkle in Time. She's also a lay theologian, has creative commentaries, a whole series on Genesis called And It Was Good. So her approach to these stories was to try to understand the real intersection between science and faith. She would read physicists right alongside the Bible, And so she created these morally grounded, explicitly Christian fantasy worlds for children. And now speaking of scripture, Madeline has this to say. When we try to define and overdefine and narrow down, we lose the story that the maker of the universe is telling us in the Gospels. I do not want to explain the Gospels. I want to enjoy them. Jesus, she says, did not speak in the language of proof, but in story. Certainly, Jesus understood the wildness of his life in the world. 
Jesus knew that when he came, what he would reveal felt very unrealistic. He knew that divinity made flesh would feel fantastical to people. Jesus knew that his power, which was self-giving, that his grace, which was poured out on all, that people would say, that's impossible. Jesus knew how radical it was to even consider his kingdom and follow in his footsteps. So, to help make a way, he told stories again and again and again and then some more. When they asked him, what is the kingdom of God like? He said, well, like a little seed. And if you plant it, it grows, and all the birds will gather in her branches. Or what about that one where the man, the farmer, he puts a seed on rocky soil, on thorny soil, and finally on the good soil? Or like at that house on the corner where the woman searched high and low and every which way till she found her lost coin? Or at the yard where everyone got paid exactly the same, even those who worked just half days. What is the kingdom of heaven like, Lord? And when they asked him, and who are you, Jesus? He said, I am. I am the gate of the sheepfold. I am the true vine. I am the bread of life. I am the light that shines, that the darkness will not overcome. I am the light of the world. Our passage today, in it we remember that Peter had a mentor too. And we see Peter following his teacher's lead. This passage makes me think of Jesus. There's something in the press of the people on him. And in the background, Jerusalem weeps. There is something in the demands of the leaders concerned with this inclusive grace. There is something in his story where the answers are way more than they have bargained for. There is something that makes us ask, haven't we heard this one before? Church, what stories do you have to share? Can we add your witness too? When the Spirit is moving in bold new ways, when the center is destabilized, when traditions don't make sense for the moment, when we don't have the language for what lies ahead, it's time to rewrite the script with a story. Church, what stories do you have to tell? Is it of a facility? that empowers our community ministries so that people can come as partners, not as clients? Is it a story of formation that happens not only in the classroom, but online, across the U.S., or even out in the kickball field at the all-church retreat? 
Is it a story of being known and no longer lonely, of having someone who will gather at your bedside, who will come to your door? Is it a story of the binaries of our world that are tossed to the side and conversations begin anew about who we are in Christ? Church, what stories do you have to tell? Can we add your witness? Church, it's time to rewrite the script. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen.